following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. 1 John, chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus not, does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming, and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides us up in us, and his love is perfect in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love of God is for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears is not being perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must not also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Sure, you're all aware that, uh, or maybe not, that when the Bible was originally written, the various books that make up the Bible, in this case we're looking at a letter, um, there weren't chapters. John didn't write, could you imagine getting a letter from somebody? Chapter one. Uh, it was not like that. The chapters were added later. 
and you probably also know that the verse numbers were added later. So the whole concept of verses was put on the writing to make it easier for people to reference sections of a letter or a book of the Bible. But did you, did you know that in the, in the Greek New Testament, there's also no punctuation? It's very difficult for English readers, modern English readers, to understand. Like, how do, would you read something without periods? There was no... Also, all the letters were... They were all capitals, which is a little interesting. When you buy a Greek New Testament today, uh, not a modern Greek, the original Greek, it's all in lowercase letters. But that got changed through the years. The original writings were all in block capitals. So there's no differentiation between a capital and a small letter like we have. In, in English, we know beginnings of sentences with capital letters. We know proper names of capital letters and so on. But they didn't have that tool at their disposal. Here's a good one, though. Did you know there were no spaces between the words? So you needed to understand the words. Like, to us, that'd be really strange. We could probably do it. It'd kind of be fun if we were inside and and we didn't have this wasp uh, buzzing around, as well as it was actually, I was thinking everything is in your hands earlier, and it came to visit me. I'm trying to hold on to the truth of the song. Um, I am a little squeamish around those things. The wasp was also in his hands. That's correct. May it stay in his hands. Now, um, so we kind of need to bring up English like this. Do it all capitals, no punctuation, and no spaces between the words. The chances are you could probably figure it out. Because when you know the words, you can figure it out. Um, but we don't do it like that in English anymore. But if that's all we ever did, we would, we would get used to it. Um, I'm sharing this with you to, again, emphasize this letter of all the writings in the Bible is so intimately connected with itself. It's like it's what John is writing, probably dictating. It, it's woven, very tightly woven. That's why I'm encouraging people, if you haven't done so yet, to watch the video put on by the Bible Project that I shared in my weekly emails with you. And if you're watching by video, uh, it's, it'll be in the description uh, in the YouTube video. I really encourage you to check out this nine-minute video on an overview of 1 John. The, the, they do such a beautiful job in mapping out the letter and seeing how it, it fits and, and also why it's kind of different from a lot of writing that we might be more used to. And so we're beginning John chapter 4 this week. What I've been doing, what I've been doing is I pause when a motorcycle or a loud car or truck goes by. What I've been doing each week is I tend to provide a verse or two from last time to lead into this time because as I've been trying to explain, the writing is so interwoven that it's very difficult to just read a section and then another section. There's parts of the Bible that lend themselves to, to reading that way more than 1 John does. So at the end of chapter 3, verse what we call verse 24, we read, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him, 
And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. There's a great illustration of what John is doing and how it's so tightly woven. On one hand, he's saying, um, the way we remain in God is by living according to his word. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So hold on, John, are you saying we know we abide in God because we do what he wants us to do? Or do we abide because of some sort of connection to the Holy Spirit? The answer is yes. They happen together. But as we live according to God's will, the Holy Spirit gives us assurance that we are abiding in God. So it, it, it's, these things work together. And so along with the part that we play, I know some people have difficulty with thinking that we have a part to play. There's a, there's a, the idea that we um, kind of don't do anything, just lie back, and God just pours out His grace upon us as if that's what we're supposed to do. There's a tendency to think that we just sit back, lie back, and God just does everything. And there's almost this idea that the the path to spirituality is this thing that people have said, let go and let God. Maybe you've heard that, let go and let God. Now, I think there's a good use of that, let go and let God, in the sense that sometimes we're trying too hard. Sometimes we think it's all up to us. We're trying to be, we're trying to be God. And we need to get out of the way, so to speak, and let God be God in our lives. But if we think let go and let God means we don't do anything at all, and uh, as if we're supposed to be some sort of spiritual kind of zombie that just so gets out of the way. We might think, you know, Paul says, you'll put to death certain things in our lives. It's all a fascinating thing that he says that because he's telling us to do it. That we have to fight against those tendencies in our lives that are ungodly. We have to do it. He doesn't say, let go and let God just take everything away. You deal with it. You stop the behavior, and it could be painful. That's what you'll know, put to death. You know, you've got to work hard at, at dealing with certain things in our lives. It's just not just—it's not just a question of God. I can't do this. You do it. I'm going to just wait for Him to do it. Yes, I rely on God, and then I need to do it. Somebody, I need to do it, and I'm very concerned, actually that there is a tendency to think that every time we start we start talking about we need to do it, that we're reintroducing works into the dynamic of salvation. God is the one who saves us. But that doesn't mean we don't do anything at all. It just kind of lie back and he just, he just, I don't know what he does. We are supposed to engage him. We're supposed to listen. We're supposed to obey. We're supposed to confess our sins. We're supposed to repent of our sins. And so on. We're supposed to pray. You know, if God was just going to do everything because he's God, and the name of the gospel game was simply letting God be God, well, again, he'd just expect to scoop us up and carry us along. Why do we need to pray? Because God is God. But if we don't spend time with him, we don't spend time in his word, then we're not going to know him as we should. Again, some people think, well, then 
I just got to work really hard at it. And I'm going to read the Bible more. And I'm going to pray more until I basically make God do something. And that's a different kind of extreme. And so, on, on one hand, we abide in God by following Him, by doing what He says, listening to Him and doing what He says. But the assurance that we're His doesn't come from our efforts. It comes from His Holy Spirit who speaks to us, who assures us, who works through us, who bears fruit through us, who gives us gifts, and so on. So then he immediately says, verse 1, chapter 4, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so here he's saying that the assurance of our knowing that we're in God doesn't come from us. It comes from some outside testimony of God's Holy Spirit. There's a spiritual experience for us to have in God. It's not just a state of mind. It's not simply being assured because of our performance. It certainly isn't that because we know we fail. It comes from God by some sort of expression of His Holy Spirit. But don't believe any old spiritual experience that might come your way. We're a generation that has come out of, and is many, in many ways still in, a time of history that has never been experienced before. That is, the dominant way of thinking about life has been atheistic. Now, most people are actually agnostic, meaning they don't know if there's a God. They're not sure. But for the most, people live as what we might call practical atheists. We, the world today, most of, when I say most of, we did, you know, if we took all the people, maybe it's not most, but certainly in the Western world, certainly in Canada and the United States, most people live as if God does not exist. We deal with life as if God is, does not exist. There was a time, whether they really believed or not, if we would have had, uh, if they would have said, oh, we're in the middle of a pandemic, the government would call for a day of prayer. But that's unheard of today. It's all, the whole emphasis is on what we can do about it. What can the scientists do? What the politicians do? The medical people do? What you can do? All the burden is on human effort. There's no looking to God. And so that's been going on for many, many decades. That, you know, God being pushed out of the school, and I don't need to, you're all aware of this. Well, we think, well, that's created a problem because, you know, God is, has been missing from the public square, God is not assumed. You watch a television show, and you get surprised when somebody makes a, a good reference to God, or people will actually pray before they eat. They certainly don't look to God for help. That does not happen. That's the society that we're in. But one of the problems that that's created is many Christians get really excited whenever God is mentioned, whenever there is some sort of spiritual thing that's going on. And it's something that I've noticed in some of the, the church experiences that we've had. So we've been part of, of, of churches that neglected in many ways, the Holy Spirit. And we've seen people get in touch with the teaching of the Holy Spirit and the reality of the Holy Spirit. But 
in my opinion, because we've been so atheistic in our way of thinking, including believers, we have tended to welcome any kind of spiritual phenomenon, and we have not been discerning. And John was aware that that was going on in his day, that these people that, from what we could tell, who had been associated with John's community of various churches, um, were claiming to be inspired by God's Spirit. They were claiming to be doing works in the name of God's Spirit. And they could be very impressive. But we know that Jesus says in the, in, in the Gospel of Matthew that many will come saying, we cast out spirits in your name, we did, we did miracles in your name, but I will say to them, get away from me, I never knew you. We need the testimony of the Holy Spirit. We need to see the power of the Holy Spirit in our personal and our congregational life. But just because something seems to be whole, uh, kind of Holy Spirit impressive doesn't make it truly from God. And that's why John says, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many false prophets. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And I wonder if we really believe this. I think many of us think, myself included, that I could spot a fake. I could easily spot a fake. But are we hearing what Jesus says? That false prophets will come looking like sheep when actually they're like wolves looking like sheep they're going to have every marking of what a true follower looks like and yet they will fool you because they're actually there to eat the sheep peter chapter second uh, peter 2 verse 1 but false prophets also rose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you among you it says who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Hopefully. Hopefully, yes, hopefully they will bring upon themselves swift destruction, but we know when God says swift, doesn't always mean, yeah, always means immediately. They will get their due. They will not get away with it. Um, But, they will do damage if we let them do damage. By associating spirits, using the word spirits with the false prophets, it's possible, possible that he's referring to spiritual manifestations. Back to what I said, what actually Jesus said, these might be people that do signs and wonders in our midst. But they might impress us in a whole sorts of variety of ways by their amount of knowledge, how they speak, the knowledge of scripture. Remember, the devil quoted scripture to Jesus. And yet he was, we read it and go, well, it's so obvious it's the devil, right? But it's not always that obvious. Now, we might want to ask the question, why does it have to be like this? I think many of us would prefer that we come to know God, we can just kind of glide through life, let go, let God, he will just carry us through. And But it's not like that. He's actually thrown us into a spiritual battle. We were prisoners in the enemy's camp. 
when he rescued us through the gospel, through what Jesus has done for us, we put our trust in him. And many of us grew up with this. We were not very aware how we were made to be part of God's family. We kind of like, kind of part of it, we're not in the enemy's camp. We don't realize that actually we're in a war. But many of us think, you know, like having a relationship with God is, is like just getting Christmas presents. But it's not like that. When we walk with God, we are in training. We're both in training and we're in action all at the same time. And he's, he's training us to be more and more mature people of God. And so he's called us to a life that is difficult. This is one of the ways we can spot a false teacher, a false prophet. The ones that tell us that it's supposed to be easy, that it's supposed to be comfortable. And I'm still struggling with that. If you know my own testimony, while I believe I came into a powerful, real relationship with God on that day, September the 3rd, 1976, there was a major element in what I was told that was wrong. I was told that if I would say the prayer to ask Jesus into my life, truly repenting of my sins and asking him to forgive me and all the rest and give my life to him which I don't know if I was actually doing that but I, I think that's what God was doing in me anyway I don't fully understand what went on but I was told that if I would do this I'd be happy for the rest of my life that was a lie that was a lie there is a there is a type of happiness Bible calls it joy that we can have but there was this idea because there I was struggling uh, I was having panic attacks I was terrified of dying and I, I thought God was going to take away all the difficulties. God was going to take away all the all the struggles. And that I would just kind of up and up and up with God forever. No. I was being drawn into a, a life's battle that I knew nothing about. And that life was going to be difficult. And there would be challenges. And God expected me to fight. I wasn't told that. And most of us are not told that today. Verse 2, by this we know, you know, you know that the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now this sounds like, just say the creed. Everybody now, let's all say Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, and that makes us from God. Uh, but there's a lot more going on in this, in this simple thing that John is mentioning here. Because he's saying that the true believer, the true representative, the true teacher, the ones that are truly from God, they proclaim that Jesus of Nazareth, born to Mary, was a true human being, and that he is the promised Jewish Messiah. It's so easy to say, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, just like it's easy to say the Apostles' Creed each week. But one of the things that makes this statement here different from our saying the creed today is that this simple statement, even though it's very theologically loaded, in that day would cost you something. Now one of the things that happened to me when I said this prayer that had its weaknesses in it, lots of truth, not altogether correct, 
I knew very quickly as a Jewish teenager in Montreal that just by saying this prayer, I was with three other people. I knew that it would cost me something. And it was a it was a part of our discussion. I knew there was a chance that I would lose friends automatically. And the and the um, the fallout of saying that prayer, I could have kept it a, a secret, of course. But as soon as I told my mother, well, actually, I told my best friend that night, and that didn't go too well. I told my mother in the morning, the following morning, and she thought I would be, I, I'd been taken by a cult. And very, very quickly, people were taking sides. As a Jewish young person in Montreal in the 1970s, to, to even uh, play with the idea of believing in Jesus automatically cost me something. But so many, I'm not speaking for anybody here, you all have your own stories, but for so many believers in North America today, believing in Jesus, at least saying they believe in Jesus, has cost them virtually nothing. And then, when the difficulties come, we don't know what to do. Because it was easy. We felt we were part of the majority. It was no big deal. But now, we're being made fun of. We're kept out of the discussion. We're, 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 we're being treated more and more like outsiders. Like we're crazy. I don't know if I remember, I told you this story that um, I was working at a Jewish camp in the Laurentians. And I was the only believer among, between the campers and the staff, maybe 800 people. And going through, having various discussions with people, and eventually I was feeling like a crazy person. Because I was the one person among 800. You could do the percentage. Very small. And I remember walking this beautiful, if you know the Laurentians, how beautiful it is there. I remember looking up at one of the mountains and thinking, my father made that mountain. And then I thought, I'm not crazy, they're crazy. And not in a, in a make fun sort of way. They're the ones that are really out of sorts, not me. But so many of us, because we've taken for granted that we've lived in a sort of Christian uh, society, we've never felt being, we never felt like we were the crazy one uh, before. And many people are facing that for the first time. Not to mention, there's so many elements of what it means that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh that it's so full of, of God's truth and God's power of who we're really following. Even this word Christ, which is a Jewish word which, that from the Hebrew Mashiach, it's something that breaks my heart that the name Christian should speak volumes to the 17 million Jewish people in the world, that every time we sing about him, we're singing, the Messiah has come, the Messiah has come. And yet there's this continued huge gap between the people originally chosen by God to make himself known to the world and those who have come into his goodness and have become God's child and yet my people do not recognize at all that the church has anything to do with Jewish people. In fact, as um, a relative once said years ago, believing that Christianity is the cause of anti-Semitism, not understanding the heartbreaking 
the heart, how Paul's heart was was so broken for for our people, and that the Jesus that we should represent is a Jesus who who came to bring the gospel first and foremost to the Jewish people, or that he is a true man. Yet, as I mentioned months ago, this way that we've turned him into a superhero that we cannot relate to. But it's only when we understand that he's a true man in every way that that's the beginnings of how we could be truly like him. But as verse 3 says, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. John is so black and white in, in, what, he's, in what he says. But we, we need to accept this. That when, when the message of truth is not truly the truth, it's a lie. And we've often been too soft with bad teaching. Verse 3, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming, is now in the world already. We spoke a little bit about this understanding of the Antichrist, the idea that someone will come who will represent lawlessness in all its ways. And that spirit is already here. We need to understand what we're dealing with. That, that the, a message that's not the true gospel is a message from the devil himself. But good news, verse 4, little children, you are from God and overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. In other words, don't be intimidated. There is a battle going on, but we over, have already overcome the false teachers if we truly know God through Jesus. Verse 5, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. Remember, this is not the out-and-out atheists. These are the people that are somehow claiming they're speaking the truth, but they're not. But why are they so popular? Why are some of the best-selling Christian books lacking in biblical truth? Because actually they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. If we are not willing to live a true, the true life of a believer, we will be lured by false teaching. John says, verse 6, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Now this sounds a little bit like we're the right group. They're the wrong group. You guys, everyone, listen to us because we know what we're talking about. Well, John has a different kind of authorization than um, most people since his time because he was a true apostle of the Lord Jesus, authorized by him to help establish the truth. And so I, would, I do not think that if we believe that we are following the right way that we could say this to other people. But what we can say is that those who listen to God's word, that this is the, this is the truth. This is our goal should be to, to turn people to the truth of God's word and its testimony. In the last part of verse 6, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. It's living according to the actual teaching of Jesus that makes the difference. Now, I'll close with this. 
it's just so easy and I have to be very careful of this myself it's so easy by following what we've learned in the past to think that that's how we stay in the truth by being true to our founders by being true to um, the um, the values of our particular and theology of our particular denomination that that's how we stay true it's so easy to do that and just like I, I mentioned earlier that that afternoon was ne- next to being born even better than being born that was the greatest day of my entire life that God turned me from death to life And it would be so easy for me to defend every single thing that happened that day. Because that's what God used in my life to bring me to himself. And yet I've had to take that precious experience and compare it to what God really says in his word. And so the fact that the, the young man that shared the gospel with me basically said, say this prayer and watch what happens... That I, I, I would never say that to anyone that's wrong. I would never promise to anyone they'd be happy for the rest of their lives. Don't say that to people. That's not the truth. There's, again, elements of joy that we should experience. There were things that he said that were good and right because the Bible says what he said was good and right. It's wrong for me. And I could share other experiences I've had in God through various people. It would be very easy to then say whatever they wrote in their book is from God. But no, it's the Lord we need to follow. And it's his word that we need to learn. Truly his word. Not what people say about his word, but his word itself. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you have left us your word. We thank you for how you've used certain ones to help establish your truth. We pray that you would help us to first and foremost be open to you in in what you're saying to us in these days. Lord, show us where we have made our experiences idols, where we've confused what we've heard from others or what we've experienced with what your word really says. Help us to truly know you in this day. Lord, I want to shrink away from the battle. I, I long for a comfortable life. I've often wondered how being told I'd be happy for the rest of my life has caused a problem in the things that I've, I've had to face because that was just not true. And yet, there's a peace and there's a comfort in you in the midst of suffering that you call us to. Lord, help us to face the day that we're in and be willing to stand for what is truly true and what is right and follow you with all our heart and all our soul and strength and mind. Oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca.